0: the Lord see not sacrifice an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the word of the Lord. A few months ago, my family attended a worship, uh, I guess it was a worship concert thing um, by musical artists Shane and Shane. And the very first song we sang today, His Mercy is More, that was Shane and Shane singing that song. So we attended a concert by Shane and Shane. And, and one of my favorite moments in the concert was Shane and Shane did one of Bryn and I's favorite songs. It's a song by the name of Psalm 46, and the subtitle of the song is Hosts. Phenomenal song, if you look up Shane and Shane, Psalm 46. And I didn't think they would do it, because it's one of their lesser-known songs. They started playing the song, and Bryn and I looked at each other, and we were like, yay, because it's one of our favorites. And so Bryn and I are, are just got I mean, all the words that we know. We're just singing as loud as we can, and, and people around us, I think, were kind of looking at us because it was a song, and we're just, you know, belting this out. Everyone else is just sitting there. But I didn't care, man. I was just belting it. So that was one of my favorite moments in the concert, but that was not the only moment where I belted something during the concert. Um, the very last song they had us do was, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. And the verse they had us singing, we'll give him all the glory, we'll give him all the glory. And then we, the band stopped playing, so we were continuing in acapella, you know, we'll give him all the glory, we'll give him all the glory. And as we're singing, we'll give him all the glory, acapella, the band left the stage. And so they left the stage, and, and the stage was empty, and then we finished the song, we'll give you all the glory, and, you know, we all start applauding and, and cheering because the concert is done. And so I, somewhat obnoxiously, started clapping and said, you know, one more song, come on, come back out. You know, I'm cheering and I'm like, come on, get back out there. And then, you know, Bryn is like, dad, stop that. You're embarrassing me. And I said, and then I explained to her, I said, well, if you want an encore, you got to cheer for an encore. So I'm like, get back out of here, you know, do another song, come on. And Bryn's just all the while, you know, trying to make herself as small as possible. So the the encore never came, so we're going out to the van, and my family is just giving me tons of heat for my behavior. They're like, dad's up there, you know, "Uh, come back out, come back out, you know, like what an idiot, you know, basically my family's making fun of me. And I'm trying to explain to my family, well, you, on an encore, you got to cheer for an encore. And Morgan said, there was never going to be an encore. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, didn't you catch it? I said, what are you talking about? She said, we were singing, we'll give him all the glory to an empty stage. So the band doesn't get the glory, God gets all the glory. Oh! yeah, I totally missed that. And she's like, no duh. So I completely missed that one. You know, I sang the songs, I attended the concert, I applauded, I listened to the music, I participated with everybody else, but even so, I completely missed the point. And as we move through and continue this series that we started last week, which is called Why We Worship, Today, we ask ourselves, will we miss the point? When we come into worship here, we can sing the songs, we can participate, we can recite the Apostles' Creed, we can pray the prayers, we can greet the other people of God, but will we miss the point? Last week, we started this series where we're looking at different elements of the worship service and why do we do what we do in this worship service. And today, we focus on this element that we do right at the beginning usually after our first song, and we prayed it with an antiphonal prayer today. But we have this thing called welcome God, which is sometimes referred to as an invocation. Why welcome God into a worship service? Especially if he's already here, especially if he's already omnipresent, why welcome him into a worship service? Why invoke his presence? And Hosea 6.6 has an answer for us today that Amanda read for us. God says through the prophet Isaiah, o Hosea to Thrill, God says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God makes two statements, and in this scripture he shows us two things that he requires of us in our worship of him. Two things that he wants from us in our worship of him. And the first thing he wants from us is he wants love from us. We might even expand that to say he wants loyal love. Our scripture, the first sentence, the Lord says, for I desire mercy. And the Hebrew word behind that English word mercy is the Hebrew word hesed, which is covenantal love. It's loyal love. It's abiding love. Look at how the ESV translates this verse. For I desire steadfast love. And here's the NASB. For I delight in loyalty. The first thing God wants from us when we come into worship is loyal love. He wants a pledge of loyalty out of us. He's reminding us of the covenant, and he wants our loyal love. The context of Hosea is covenantal unfaithfulness. Israel broke the covenant with God, and they went and worshipped other gods. And God is telling Israel, you cheated on me. You broke the covenant and you went in love to other gods and other things. Look at Hosea 1 verse 2. And this is God not only telling Israel that they broke the covenant, but he's showing Israel that they broke the covenant through the prophet Hosea. Look what he actually instructs Hosea to do. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, "'Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution.'" This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So he's showing Israel not only did you break covenant faithfulness with me, but he's showing them through Hosea marrying an unfaithful wife. God's saying, You Israel are like Hosea's unfaithful wife. You broke the promise, you broke the covenant. God is saying he wants our faithful love, and he's also telling us, Don't cheat on me when you come into this space, don't cheat on me. Pledge your loyalty to me. I created you. I loved you. I formed you in the womb before anyone else ever even knew you. Now recalibrate yourself to me. Don't cheat on me. Israel had ran to all sorts of other gods. They had run to idols. They had Worshipped the idols and the gods of the other nations. In fact, if you look at the Bible and you track the kings of the northern Israel, none of them were good. The Bible says that all of the kings of the northern king of Israel were bad kings who led the people astray. So Israel embraced idol worship. Hosea four twelve gives us a picture. They ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols has made them foolish. They have played the prostitute serving other gods and deserting their God. And any time we talk about Israel's idolatry, it's really easy for us to, be, to say, well, that's stupid. Look how dumb they are. And the truth is, is that we're supposed to see ourselves in Israel and say, look at all the idols that Israel ran to, and then point the finger at ourselves and say, what are all the idols that I run to? What do I make an idol of? How do I embrace idolatry, and break faithfulness with the God who loved me first. Many of us used our snowblowers this past week, I'm sure. Raise your hand if you worked a snowblower this week. Yep, my hand's still feeling it from clutching that, you know, what I don't know what you call that, that makes the auger go. Um, Greg, what do you call that thing that you push down? Lever. There you go. <laughs> How do you like that? Lever. Yes. <laughs> So much of my day yesterday was spent, you know, ramming my snowblower into these boulders of snow. Uh, we got it out. We got, I got a simplicity, so it gets the job done. And a simplicity from, you know, back in the day, so it's, it's, it's awesome. But anyway, many of us used our snowblowers this past week, and, and before the winter season, you have to get your snowblower ready for the winter season. You got to tune it up. So you got to change the oil... For certain, maybe change the spark plug if it needs a new spark plug, Um, put your grease gun on Zerk fittings, Ah, yeah, get your grease gun on the Zerk fittings, and and then make sure you start it so that you know it's gonna run when it's time to use it because the last thing you want is a snowblower that doesn't start when you need it. So you tune the snowblower up before the season. Well, why do you have to tune the snowblower up before the season? Because when all that time passes between the last winter and this winter, The snowblower gets out of whack. It deteriorates. The gas goes bad, right? The parts might not work. You gotta make sure all the little parts are still working. You gotta refresh it and renew it. Over that time period, the snowblower gets out of whack. And I think about this when it comes to like our weekly lives between Sundays. You know, when we walk out of here, my hope is is that you'd be renewed and refreshed and recalibrated in the Lord. But as the week goes on. The pressures of life get to us, the task list takes over, and it's really easy for the priorities to flip. It's really easy for the priorities to get out of whack. And the sinful nature starts to us, maybe our temptations start to pick away at us, and we start to give in. We start to convince ourselves that wholeness is found in all these other things instead of the Lord, and when the stress takes over, right? We start to run after idols. Rather than trusting in the Lord or running to the Lord or finding our wholeness in the Lord. And so as the week goes on, we get out of whack. And so when we come back in here and when we welcome God into this place, we're saying, I missed it this past week. Yes, I cheated on you this past week, Lord. I ran to idols. I got mismanaged priorities. I ran after other things that weren't you, Lord. Fix me. Repair me. Get me back in working order again. Renew me, refresh me, and get me ready for this next week that you've appointed me to, Lord. That's kind of how I view what's going on in this service. So when we come in here, we're saying, God, repair me. That's what we say when we welcome God into this service. The first thing God wants is he wants our loyal love. And then we get to the second part of the verse where God says, For I desire acknowledgement of me, acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. The second thing God wants from us, or the second thing God requires from us in worship, is that God wants relationship with us. Now, the English language fails us a little bit again on this second part of this verse, because it said God wants acknowledgement of Him, and and this is more than just acknowledgement of Him. This runs deeper. God wants relationship. In fact, I think the NLT does the best job here. It says, I want you to know me. More than I want burnt offerings. God wants relationship with us. He wants us to know him. Again, the context of Hosea is relational, covenantal, unfaithfulness on the part of Israel. God covenanted with Israel and said, you will be my people and I will be your God. But Israel ran to all sorts of other gods. And God illustrates this through Hosea's wife, who is unfaithful to the relationship with Hosea. And she runs to other men. And so God, in saying he wants relationship with us, is also saying, don't use me. When you come into this worship service, don't use me in here. I want you. I want relationship with you. I don't want this service to become some sort of ritualistic act where you're trying to get something out of me or to try to influence me in some way or another. No, I just want you I want relationship with you. The shocking thing about Hosea 6.6 6 is that God actually says, I don't want sacrifices. I don't want burnt offerings. Why would the Lord why would He say, don't do the thing He commanded them to do since however long ago? Don't offer sacrifices. Don't offer burnt offerings. Why? Because Israel's heart wasn't in it. Because Israel offered those offerings and made those sacrifices, not with hearts devoted to the Lord, not in a spirit of relationship to the Lord, but as a ritualistic act trying to get God on their side. Trying to coerce God. At this point in the northern kingdom's history, the Assyrian army was attacking the north and was pressing in strong. And so the people could have said, God, we have this external threat. we got this problem. We come back to you, Lord. Help us out here, God. We repent. We turn away from our our idols. We turn away from our sin. Yes, we've left you. We broke the covenant. Help us out. But instead of turning to God, Israel went to Egypt and tried to strike an alliance and pay tribute and try to form a, a conglomerate against the Assyrian army. Rather than turning back to the Lord in relationship, they went and tried to be buddy-buddy with Egypt. God says, don't use me in this space. See, sacrifices and burnt offerings were not just a thing for Israel. They were a thing for all of these other pagan religions in Israel's time. But it was a very formulaic thing. It was very input-output. So the other nations would make an offering to a god, That was the input, and then in turn they expected to receive God's favor. That was the output. So in other words, I want a good crop season, so I'm going to make an offering to the rain God. Or I want to have a child, so I'm going to make an offering to the God of fertility. It was input-output. Very formulaic. And this is what Israel had become. Rather than worshiping God in a spirit of relationship and in a spirit of covenant and with pure hearts, Israel was just doing what they always did. You know, make an offering to this God, maybe that will make that God happy. Maybe make an offering to this God, maybe make that God happy. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be making offerings to Yahweh as well, so we'll make that offering, maybe we'll keep Him happy. God says, don't use me in this space. Which brings us back to the question we started with. When we come into here, and when we welcome the Lord in, will we still miss the point? I was at that concert. I sang the songs. I participated with everybody else. I applauded. I listened to the music. Right? But I totally missed the point at the very end. And so will we miss the point when we come into this space that this is about, and what He wants. And He wants loyalty from me, and he wants faithfulness out of me. He says, don't cheat on me. Don't run to other idols. You know, one of my growing things that the Lord is putting on my heart that we need to guard against is, for the first time in our church's history, you know, we have this stability. We have a location And we have a worship schedule, and we can actually start to build on something here, you know, at least during my time, right? It feels like we finally have some ground to build on. And my concern is that it's going to become really easy for us to make aisles out of this place. I mean, I've even had friends ask me, So are the preferences starting to come out amongst your people? I said, Thankfully, not terribly. I mean, the coat rack is one thing, but that's an ongoing battle between you and I. But anyway, and I was wrong about the cross. I'll admit that. I was totally wrong about the cross, right? It's awesome. The cross is awesome. Uh, but, you know, so I said, thankfully, not too much. But, but now that we're in this space, I think we could be tempted to, to really put forth our preferences. I mean, we can even make idols out of worship services. We can come into worship. We can participate. And we can completely miss the point because all the while, we've even made an idol out of this. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor, and when he arrived to his church, his church had this element in their worship service. They would sing the fourth verse of my country, Tis of Thee, as a prayer for the nation. Now, to say nothing of the nationalistic overtones there, my friend's diagnosis was that the congregation had been singing this fourth verse so long that it had lost all meaning. It was just this rote thing where people just, you know, Our Father's God to the author of liberty. And they just kind of sing it, blah, blah, and then on to the next thing. And so rather than doing the rote thing they had done forever, my friend took out the song and replaced it with a prayer for the nation. Because he's like, if we're praying for the nation, let's pray for the nation. So they did that once per month. And the amount of heat that he took for that change was alarming. Why? Because that had become an idol. This is what we do. This is what we always do. And so I want to caution us this morning, and I'm cautioning myself just as much, to make this an idol. Because we can make an idol out of anything. When we come into here, will we actually be here for the Lord to pledge our loyalty to Him, to give ourselves to Him again in relationship, and be renewed and refreshed in who He wants us to be? Or will we make this an idol? Will we miss the point? Don't cheat on me. And he says, don't use me. The other thing I want us thinking about this morning is when you come in here, are you here to give yourself to the Lord? Or are you here to try to earn some favor or earn some merit with the Lord or get on God's good side? Or like, oh, I should really go to church because maybe he'll be more pleased with me then. Or I should really go to church because maybe he'll answer that prayer that I've been praying then. I should really go to church because then maybe God will look upon me with some sort of favor. You can't earn favor with God. You can't coerce the Lord. This is not some sort of thing that gets us on God's good side. No, we're sinful. The only one who gets us on God's good side is Jesus. Because he's the only one that was on God's good side. So we're here for Jesus. And we're here for the Lord and to make much of him. So is there some sort of coercive aspect to this for you? That's the other thing I want you thinking about this morning. is Are you using the Lord in some way? Or are you really here recognizing, Lord, without you, I'm lost. I'm hopeless. I'm damned to death for eternity. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. Romans 12.1, we read it last week, we'll read it again this week. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your whole bodies to God because of all He has done for you. When you come into this space, you're giving of yourself to the Lord. You're giving all of you to the Lord. God, I'm your vessel. I'm here for you. God says in Hosea 6.6, 6, I don't want sacrifices. I don't want burnt offerings. That's shocking. Why? Because the people were making offerings from an impure heart and with no interest in their hearts being made pure. The people were offering from an impure heart. And the truth is is that we have impure hearts as well. Because of our sinful nature, we come into this space with impure hearts as well. There's only one man who made an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord with a pure heart. There's only one man who made an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord that was all-sufficient, and that man is Jesus. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 12 and verse 14. But our high priest, that's Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and here's what he accomplished, for by that one offering... He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And so it is Jesus who offers himself in a pure heart that purifies. They come in this place and welcome God here. Will we miss the point? Or when we come into here, will we say, Hello, Lord, make me yours.